When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Here it comes again, lunch. Will it be the same old, same old? Or are you ready to take a vacation from the ordinary with the new Jamaican Jerk Turkey Sub at Firehouse Subs? Freshly sliced smoked turkey breast, craveably sweet mustard sauce, and a hint of Caribbean seasoning. Just $5.55 for a medium. Save time. Order the new Jamaican Jerk Turkey Sub on the Firehouse Subs app. Firehouse Subs. Enjoy more subs. Save more lives. Participating locations, limited time only, plus tax. Prices may vary for delivery. This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling.
everybody to open the voice gate it is a special bonus episode today and before we get into our special guest who i can't believe i actually managed to not reveal this on the on the twitter feed for three straight days i i kept it a secret before we get into that um really quickly i wanted to update everybody on the awards because the the ballots have been coming in pretty fast and furious and I've been pleasantly surprised with the reaction so far. So you have until January 4th. You still got a long time, but we got plenty of ballots in already and we're excited about the response. So the link will be in the episode page again today. It'll be on Twitter again. It's all over the place. You can't miss the ballot. But um, yeah, thanks thanks to everybody who's taken time to fill that out already. Um, the other thing too is we are officially a go for the ebook. So the Dragon Gate 2016 Year Review ebook, we haven't really talked about this yet at all, and we'll talk about it more probably on the next episode. But that's something to look out for probably in like mid-January. It'll have you know all the the profiles and every wrestler that competed in Dragon Gate this year. Very similar to the Voices of Wrestling New Japan ebook they do. So it's the same same kind of idea. Um, you'll be able to pay what you want for it. Basically, we'll have it on Amazon and whatever that other platform is they use. It lets you pay whatever you want. And it'll also have a revamped Dragon Gate 101 series in there for newer fans. Um, but yeah, Michael, the ebook's exciting, huh? I yeah. I've been on that side of that. Yeah, it's been real exciting. I've been kind of the one doing most of the stats for this year, and it kind of makes me want to do like a Dragon Gate, like, I hate the term Sayer Metrics, but like taking a like statistical look into some things about Dragon Gate this year. But I'm really excited about it. We've been putting some good work into it, and I think it's going to be a great product when we put it out. Yeah, so definitely look out for that again, probably like mid-January. Okay, so with that stuff out of the way, the very special guest today is none other than Mr. Jay Church of iHeartDG.com. The man that I think most of us would not be Dragon Gate fans if he did not exist. So Jay, first of all, welcome to the show. Thank you for uh, offering to do this, which I was, I was actually kind of amazed you even offered to do this, but we really appreciate it. And thanks for joining us. Hey, thanks for having me. My pleasure. Um, so before we get into the theme of this episode, I know everybody always asks you, I feel like why, you know, how you got into Dragon Gate and all that. And you told that story a bunch of times, you know, editing the, the website on the Dreamcast and all that. <laughs> I guess what I'm what I'm more curious about now is um, what has kept you a fan for so long. Uh, gosh, I don't I don't have an answer to that question. I mean, there are just times when my interest is up, times when my interest is low, but it's become such a constant in my life that I can't I can't imagine not. You know, not being a fan, not doing a web, not doing the website, not doing 
all that stuff that there was a back in 2009 after a bunch of you know all the bad stuff of 2009 went down you know i fell out of it for about a month and just felt really really weird to you know not have it as like an everyday thing so i guess that's my answer it's not really a good one but (laughs) um so like so you said you know obviously your interest has gone up and down it's I think it's very similar to mine too. I've been I've been a fan that's not quite as long as you, but probably about like fourteen years. And just the interest will go up and down, but it's like Dragon Gate's always the constant, you know, and it always has that the mixture of the wrestling style with the with just the storyline progression, the way it rewards you for being a fan for so long. But I don't know. It's just it's more rewarding than most other wrestling promotions out there. I feel like. Yeah, um, and it's like if you miss if you miss six months of it, it's really easy to catch up. You know, usually things will have units will have shuffled around, and there will have been changes. People people will be you know, have changed alignments, but um, it's relatively easy to to get back into the groove and feel like you didn't miss anything, which. Uh, I think I always hear people describe it as like an old relationship or an old, (laughs) you know, an old friend that, you know, you don't talk to for six months, but you meet again and it just, uh, it's like you never missed a beat. Yeah. That was probably 2012 for me where I just kind of like fell out of it and then just, but like, once you get back, once you come back, you know, it's, it is very easy to get back into it. Um, Michael, did you have any questions about just his long history running the site and everything? I don't really have a question, but I kind of like to echo what you all said about the how as soon as you kind of get Dragon System and Toriumon, it's like, I hate the analogy of riding a bicycle, but it's very much like you take some time off, but as soon as you get the concept, you get familiarized with the characters and the relationships, it's just like picking it up, picking it up right again. I mean, I know I've had my ebbs and flows, 2009 was one of mine also, and it's one of the things that my general wrestling interest may be down. Like right now, my general wrestling interest outside of Dragon Gate is probably at an all-time low. But I always have Dragon Gate. I always have the monthly Corkins and then the five big shows each year. And then whenever a tape show is released, then it's, it's just one of those things that it, it's enjoyable. And I always come back to it. Yeah. It's very easy to watch. And there's also so much like... I really it's the only promotion that I at this point in my life I still enjoy rewatching stuff like historical stuff but I don't know it's just because it's yeah. it has that constant thread I guess um yeah I mean I'm in like a lot of these a lot of days I'm just like days of Corkin shows I'm just like fuck I don't want to really don't want to go to this I'm tired I've been working all day but then at the end of at the end of the show I'm like okay I'm glad I came pretty much yeah. like clockwork <laughs> how has so that there's a good question how has moving to japan changed your perspective on dragon gate and the fan base in general i mean just being with the japanese fan base i must must be really different it's um absolutely changed my perspective on a lot of things i enjoy just kind of playing along and being a fan now not watching things with a critical eye how many stars the match is or uh you know, I see a lot of uh, 
how can I say this? Like, uh, like Takagi as a heel, you know, everyone on message boards and forums, Twitter, always talking about, well, you know, Takagi's a perfect heel. He's great as a heel. I love him. I mean, that's it's kind of like not the point. You're not supposed to love him. <laughs> so, you know, it's cool just being around people that actually hate heels and, you know, p- play along with the story and don't, when the match is over, um, it's not, wow, that match was so well booked. It was, wow, Mochizuki was awesome in that match. You know, that type of stuff. Yeah, it definitely kind of seems like Takagi seems to be like one of the big divide between native fans and the international fans. I remember like last year with Final Gate with the ending with Shima, like how like quiet the crowd is. Whereas if the same match might have happened in the States or PWG or back when DG USA was a thing, the crowd would be on their feet and it's just completely different emotional responses. Yeah, exactly. Trying to go back to oh sorry go ahead no go ahead <laughs> I was just gonna say uh, to when I I was when I was lucky enough to go to Japan and just be in Japanese crowds like just Dragon Gate just like they it's just such a more like varied crowd especially like you know WWE is, is mostly kids and Japanese crowd I mean um like in, indie crowds is mostly smarks and here I'm sure you have your share of smarks but like there's I just couldn't believe how many like families are there and like. You know, like elderly people are in these Japanese crowds, which are you never see them in American wrestling crowds anymore. It's just very different yeah. vibe. Yeah, you have to remember, you know, Torimon was, you know, the fan base for Torimon was mostly young women, and uh, those fan those fans never left. They're just moms now, so they bring their families. So that's yeah, why, just, you know, we get we get a lot of kids and there's a lot of husbands, you know, a lot of uh, wives that have turned wives that have turned their husbands on to it. Plus, there's the, you know, the new, newer generation of younger fans. And now that it's, be- you know, Dragon Gate has become not I mean, we're not there yet, but we're more respected as as a pro wrestling company now. So you get the more traditional wrestling fan popping in to see a show every now and then, as opposed to in the past when it was, you know, that never happened. Yeah, I I, I thought it was kind of interesting with when you were on Alan's show talking about the fan bases and now they have kids. And I, I kind of like to imagine that the, the first gong kids are probably the sons and daughters of the teenage girls who first went to go see Crazy Max oh. and N2K. And it's just... Yeah, absolutely, they are. And I don't know, I, I kind of find it great that Shima's finding a way to torment another generation, so... <laughs> yeah, yeah he's, he's a good dad. He's a good dad. <laughs> the... But yeah, I mean, just, just, like, being a part of those crowds in general in Japan, they're just, like, they're so clearly there just to watch a wrestling show and it makes me feel like this must have been what going to like in a lot of, I remember I think you made the Memphis comparison right on Alan's show maybe and it's like this must have felt like what it was like going to territorial wrestling in the 80s kind of yeah you, you turn out for the big show once a month to um, resolve what happened at the show you know the prior month um, you just you have the crazy people that go to every show in between but uh you know, absolutely, absolutely. You get to follow these characters that you've seen since the beginning. I mean, that's 
a lot of it is, you know, this is when Torimon started, everyone else was starting. You know, you had like Mochizuki who'd been around for three years at the time, but essentially you've got to grow up. These people have grown up with the promotion. You know, I, I'm like, I'm basically the same age as Shima. So when he was a 20 year old punk, I was a 20 year old punk. Mm-hmm. And now he's old and tired and I'm old and tired. So it's, uh, you know, it's cool to be able to see all of that and see them, you know, grow from those little kids that went off to Mexico to the people that are carrying, anchoring the company. And so it's, if you got in on the ground floor, it's a really, really rewarding thing to see. So so when talking about kids going to Mexico, made me think of another quick question before we get into the main theme. Do you have any special, um, like, um, like viewpoint on why is Dragon Gate able to recruit so well? Like, it just seems they're one of the best companies in the, in the country right now of recruiting and training. Uh, the testing is really strict. Yeah. Yeah. You have to, you know, you get a lot of applicants and, uh, you know, it's kind of like the old, uh, what was the, uh, old all Japan women thing where during the crush girls era, they would just, you know, every, all the little girls wanted to be a pro wrestler. So they got so many applications they could pick and choose only the best right and i'm not i'm not saying it's comparable to that level in terms of the the interest that they're getting but they the the test the test is really really hard basically <laughs> so how to punish tomonaga pass it is the question uh well that was 10 years ago <laughs> <laughs> I, know. <laughs> I know i'm just fucking around that um, 2000 the 2006 2007 recruiting not not so much <laughs> Hang on, I have to answer my door. Okay. So while Jay is answering his door, um, the that was such a Japanese doorbell, by the way. <laughs> Just, uh, that's you hear that? It's like it sounds like almost like they're trains. Um, yeah. So it, it it's interesting how it's kind of evolved, especially since 2006 and 2007, and the first next classes really because yeah, they now, were terrible i i yeah. mean going from uh, like dragon gate next which was supposed to which i got the feeling was supposed to be about lupin Matisiani, to nowadays where the class of 2016 already are three guys that can hold their own i know that i kind of beat the drum about hio wanabi a lot but all three of them that have gotten their official names and costumes all really show the potential and i think that that's proof in that rigorous system yeah it's been pretty hi jay um i was just i was entertained by the japanese doorbell it was like wow it's such a japanese sounding doorbell (laughs) it has that that weird chime you know yeah yeah um so yeah before we get so we're gonna get into the unit stuff now but um definitely if you if you have a chance to go to japan and see Dragon Gate in Japan, something I cannot stress enough to anyone who is hardcore enough to listen to this podcast, that's something you need to experience at least once in your life. And Jay will hook you up with tickets, right? Jay, just Jay at iHeartDJ. If you uh, are coming to Japan and would like to attend a Dragon Gate show, send an email to info at iHeartDJ.com. We can reserve tickets for any show in Japan doesn't just have to be Tokyo or Cork and they'll be held at the door for you. You can pick them up and pay at that time. 
Yeah, I did it last time, and it was it's very easy. It's very um, if you if you've ever picked up tickets to the Door to American Indie Show, it's very it's pretty much the same thing. So um, you definitely need to. I mean, just being in Corken Hall and seeing them there is just I don't know that that building has such a special energy, and it just comes through. Um, the, the moment you step into it, which Shima talked about, I think in his promo, right to the to the three kids of the last show. You know, mm-hmm. Cork can be. Oh. Yeah, yeah. Cork, you know, Corican is a special place. If you mess up, you don't get a second chance. Yeah, and then they tried to beat him up. Was, yeah, mm-hmm. that's kind of funny. Are we getting millennials too, Jay? Are they really doing this, or is it just a tease? Um, I don't know. I mean, what I would have, what I was hoping they were going to do. Um, God, let's see. I was hoping that uh, eight to. Yamamura and Ishida were going to leave over generation to make, uh, you know, do a new unit with Doi and, you know, whoever else and just kind of leave over generation as the permanent young kids and old guys unit. So, you know, the new young kids can get the guidance from Shima and Gamma and whoever. And then once, once they're, you know, ready, quote unquote, they go on to, join a real unit so i was kind of hoping that that was going to happen but i don't know if that's what's going to happen now but yeah um i would like to think that they're not going to keep the four of them together because it would be for the sake of generation rivalries and all that it would be better if they get dispersed amongst the units takashima probably is going to be like in young you know young dragon mode for kind of a long time he was a he was in the system a few years back and he has a his really bad eyes, so he was gone for a while, and then had had surgery on his eyes, but came back and came back. But he's still his eyesight really isn't all that good, so I'm kind of worried about him. But oh, uh, that's interesting. I had no idea. Uh, but the other, the three that got characters at Korokin plus Yoshioka, I would like to see them kind of scattered around different units so they can feud with each other. So okay. Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Mike. Oh, I didn't have anything. Okay. Um, so the, to get into the main theme today, because uh, that's a good transition here. So we're going to talk about the history of the units in Dragon Gate and Toriumon, which has been such a constant in the promotion for the past 16 years. Um, it all kind of started with Crazy Max, right? That was pretty much the first unit, and they they even predated Toriumon. And, you know, they competed in Michinoku Pro as part of the what it was called Sasuke Gumi, right? Sasuke yeah, Gumi. Sasuke Gumi. Great Sasuke's heel unit during his uh, weird-ass heel run. And they were there, you know, at the very start of Toriumon. That's a little... I've, I've watched some of the footage back, but now I, I started watching... By the time I started watching in 2002, they were already kind of these, like, quasi-babyface, like, establishment figures. And I never, so I never really experienced them as heels at the time. So Jay, what was that like? What what were Crazy Max like as like just real heels? They were uh, kind of like that prototype Mexican lucha libre, you know, Rudo Rudo group. If you've go- gone back and watched any old like Kind High DX stuff from the the late '90s, very 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 much along that lines. Um, Suo was kind of a uh, was was like the crazy one. Shima was the the cocky one. Fuji was the fat one. Um, <laughs> Taru came along later and added a bit of uh, 
a bit of uniqueness to the group, but they were very much your standard kind of paint by the numbers, uh, Japanese Lucha Libre, Rudo group. Yeah, was Taro were... was Taro supposed to be like a like a he's supposed to have like yakuza kind of feel to him? No, he was just a, he was just kind of like a weird like a like a visual K rocker kind of guy. Right. Like if you if you watch the stuff he's doing now, it's not entirely different from the style he was supposed to be back then. Or it's essentially a heavy metal gimmick. <laughs> I say. He was he's still around zero one max, right? Is that where he is? Um, I just I was looking at results or something and I saw him and like he was he teams with Shigusa a lot. Yeah. And, and does exploding matches with Onita. <laughs> well. At least he's still working, I guess. Yeah, gotta get paid. He just he had like a twentieth anniversary show at uh I wanna say in September or something like that. And it was really it was the card was interesting, but I didn't have, I didn't get to go. But and he's hmm? Oh, go ahead. I just had a question about Crazy Max. Go ahead. It, if my time is right, didn't Crazy Max come in almost exactly after Kai and Tai DX left uh Michinoku Pro? Uh, yes, they were a part of the, because uh, Sasuke was the, the answer to Kai and Tai leaving since you know, the entire, you know, the entire heel unit leaving, mm-hmm. they needed to, they needed to do something. Crazy Max didn't come in quite right at the start, but they were not, not, not too long after that. Yeah. Which kind of led to a natural feud between Shima and Taco and Taco would come back to Japan for little tours. Yeah. I noticed actually that. I didn't when I was doing the stats for the ebook that Taka showed up randomly on a card this year, and I don't remember it having any fanfare. But I was like, "Oh, he's teaming with Kness. That kind of makes sense." Yeah, they have a match. They're gonna um, basically the story is when Kness broke in, he broke in with Michinoku Pro, and uh, Taka when he was developing the Michinoku Driver Two would constantly drop Kness on his head in practice. <laughs> Jesus. And he was, um, when Kness debuted, he was supposed to debut against Taka, but it, I don't remember the exact, the exact story why, but it didn't happen, and they never got to have a match because Taka left. So they're actually, um, they're going to have a match in K-Dojo. I want to say, it's, I want to say it's really soon. It's in September sometime when, when they run, when K Dojo runs Osaka, but they have a there's a, a history there, um, so that's why that happened. So the Shima the Shima Taka feud you were talking about that was the one where Shima like beat him and tore up his passport, right? Yes, he set his passport on fire. <laughs> that's, I still remember reading about that. That was fucking awesome. Yeah, wow. that was. Um, and then that they paid it off like many years later in Dragon Gate with a with a match where it was like. Passport, driver's license, and insurance card match. <laughs> it was in a, it was on a 2005 cork and towards the end of the year, and Taka won that and got all of uh, got all of Shima's valuable valuable documents and took them back to K Dojo and then lost them in a poker game to uh, Handsome Joe, but uh, Shima <laughs> got them back eventually. Obviously, good for good for Shima. Um, <laughs> um, so that was Crazy Max, obviously. They're, they're the early Crazy Max. And then I guess what really turned them sort of permanently babyface was M2K, right? The rise of the original M2K. Well, there was um, there was also, you know, the Torimon Home Army, which a lot of people kind of gloss over because 
you know, the home armies aren't really official units, but um, we can't, we can't skip over the fact that people just didn't like Magnum Tokyo. <laughs> so, um, you know, him as the head on the other side, people would tend to cheer for Crazy Max over those guys, especially during the times when Dragon Kid was injured and, and wasn't around. And there really wasn't anybody likable on that side. It was essentially Magnum Tokyo, um, Arakin, and, uh, you know, guys like Horiguchi and Susumu when they were like still really when they were babies and they didn't have a following yet. So crazy max was popular before M2K, but M2K coming in was, yes, it was the thing that eventually fully, fully turned them. Even though there were still times when crazy max, would, you know, Shima would say, um, you know, we're going back to our roots and we're going back to, you know, the, the vicious style. And it never really stuck. He did that like every year for a while. It felt like, yeah, there was um, at the end of two thousand. At the end of two thousand, um, you know, they kicked when they kicked Stalker Ichikawa out of the unit. They said, you know, we're going back to you know for El Numero Uno, we're going back to the evil, you know, the dark crazy Max, and it it didn't really stick. So the so the rise of M two K, obviously, I I don't. It'd be a fun debate, I guess. It's always been a debate who which group was more influential, but. M2K, without M2K, I don't know if units would have been, like, such a permanent fixture in Toriyaman Dragon Gate. Because at that point, you just kind of had Crazy Max and Sekigun. And then you had, you know, the rise of M2K, and that kind of made, just, it became a um, thing that, that they'd always have multiple units. Yeah, I, like, the, the Rudo unit versus the Home Army was pretty much, you know, the staple of... Uh, like Michinoku and before that Universal, so it, it you know that was the the standard pattern of uh, the way things worked. Adding a third unit and creating this full this all out battlefield was um, it set the the tone for what we have now. Yeah, exactly. So what was like what was it like with M2K? Just again, this is still a little before my time with just M2K's rise and just the way they just like started hog tying people and all the crazy um, shit they did. The count out thing was annoying. Um, <laughs> that was really, really annoying. I mean, it was, uh, Susumu and Kanda were a tag team before it happened. They were kind of a, they were kind of a cool tag team, but Mochizuki, uh, was what really, you he had only, he had been a heel with, he was in Sasuke Gumi as well. So he had been a teammate of crazy max as a heel but um, in Torimon, he was kind of this unknown kind of quantity because he wasn't, you know, he wasn't one of the Torimon guys. He wasn't Magnum. He wasn't Dragon Kid or Saito. So he just kind of, he was just kind of this dude in a karate gi. And he didn't really know what he was fully capable of. But he, uh, he did well as a heel, you could say. Uh, you know, I guess the the way I watched Torimon at that time was way different from it is now. At the time, I was still watching things with a much more critical eye and wanting long matches and clean finishes and all that stuff. So the countout stuff is just so fucking annoying. Oh my god! And then, <laughs> like when El Numero Uno happened, and they Mochizuki won El Numero Uno without winning a single match in the entire in the entire tournament. It was just infuriating. But looking back, it was supposed to be infuriate, infuriating, so I guess it was pretty genius. I think one of the things about M2K 
that really sticks out to me was that in comparison to Crazy Max, where they all had the Crazy Max logo and they wore black and white, they had like a just this great theme. You had GWD, you had the Yokosuka jumpers and the and the Razor scooters they came out with, but like it, like they felt like in, in a way more like a unit that you would see long further into Dragon Gate, where like there was kind of like a set kind of I guess theme for a better, for lack of better words. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, I guess we can just talk about the rest of the M2K incarnations while, we, while we're on the subject of M2K. So then they, they kind of kick out Mochizuki um, when Mochizuki turns face after he got his head shaved. And they replace him with Magnum. And I remember you always had on your site, Jay, like um, a little note basically saying this Magu 2K period was generally not discussed when the history of M2K was the topic. And it's just, it's such like a little, it's such a weird period, but it's fascinating in hindsight. It feel in hindsight, it feels like it was much longer than it actually was, but it was really only like a three month period during the summer. Um, like, uh, you know, he joins, I think it was like May after you know, they did the build up through El Numero Uno, where they the the guys would come out and dance with him, and they did the thing where Horiguchi would never forgive him if he didn't join because of all the money he spent on dance lessons for everybody. <laughs> um, but uh, then Kanda retired, so they retired the name with him, and it was only it was really really a short period of time, and it was just kind of. It was something that we saw a couple times again when they revived the name. It was like M2K was really important to the identity of Torimon, so it was important to have an M2K around, so they didn't want to stop it. So they just, you know, Magnum was going to turn heel, so let's just put him in the heel unit. Um, they hadn't quite perfected the art of uh, blowing, you know, blowing the heel unit up and reinventing it when it was time for a new leader. Yeah. Which is kind of, what, almost kind of the start right there, but which is you know it, the, which is what they ended up doing in the uh, in the fall with you know ending M2K and reinventing it as Doofixer so Magnum could actually rebuild it in his image. Just his heel turn in general. What was just he? I always got the vibe that he was not well liked, like you were just saying anyway. So like, was it just about trying to embrace his view, the way he was viewed by the fans anyway? Um. Where to start with this? You know, he was obviously because of the entrance and the the atmosphere. Um, he was he himself was also very important to the Torimon Torimon identity, and there was a time where you could argue that he was the most popular guy on the roster around summer summer of two thousand one ish. I guess, but then if you go and watch the end of 2001, it, people were just dead for him. Oh my god, there was a uh, the show that has the Shima versus Mochizuki hair match from uh, Komazawa at the end of 2001, there's a, there's a Magnum versus, uh, I think it was Ricky Marvin, <laughs> Ricky Marvin match, that was just uh, that was like the, that was the end of Magnum as a baby face there. Um and uh, you know the heel turn did wonders for him. Uh, he ended up being much more popular after the heel turn because he could actually be himself 
because he was he was a prick and he got to be a prick. So you know they always say that the best wrestling characters are when it's an extension of the person's you know real persona, and that's absolutely what Mister Egoist was. Yeah, and then even after he kind of turned, he kind of turned back without ever really turning back, I guess. But even after he did, it was always more in that vein. Like he kept that character. Yeah, um, 2003 was kind of a bad year for that when there there really wasn't a heel unit in 2003, and that was the uh, the social dance era when you know basically everybody was a babyface and no one really got booed. So that was until kind of, like. That was a long- that was one of until the dark like, years. Until like Hagar Gundam, I guess. Until Hagar Gundam, yeah. yeah. And then Agan Iso. Yeah. I mean, because I, I remember that, like late 2003 already, I mean, they weren't, they were not liked. <laughs> they were probably the only people on the shows who were actually getting booed. But... Yeah. You, you know, it was, um, it was good because you put, you know, the best way to make a healing unit is put the guys that nobody likes all together. Yeah. And there's no chance of cheering them. It's kind of like, like Berserk now. I know. <laughs> now that Doi is out, you've got literally, there's nobody in that group that anybody likes. So you find that this is the first time in a really long time that there's an actual heel unit that doesn't have super popular people in it. Yeah. So, so which makes a lot of sense. And, and they actually feel like their own unit now, too, instead of Mad Blanky 2, which is what they yeah. felt like for a long time. Um, yeah. But, but, so I guess back to M2K, uh, we, we had the MAGA 2K period. Um, I don't know if we really need to talk about shit M2K. It was a disaster. No, we got to we talk, should... talk about it. Um, okay. It sucks. Like, you know, new M2K was good for, well, yeah, it sucked. Um, I think the problem with it was they didn't, they, they, they half-assed it. And you know, was it a heel unit? Was it not a heel unit? Was it their own group? You know, they, they never had a, they never even had a, their own logo. Like there was, they had a new logo, but they used the old logo. Um, they had Raimu Mishima, God bless him. You know, having Dragon Kid join the same night. Like the, the initial like reveal of it when it was Arakin, Mochizuki and Second Doi. You know, the Mochizuki is M, Second Doi is 2, and Arakin is K. That was kind of cool, I'll admit. But then Mishima and Dragon Kid joined, and it was just kind of like, what's the point? Yeah, um, it, was the, it was the home army in, Yoku, in Yokosuka Jump. It's like, what? Yeah, three weeks after the home army was disbanded. And so there was really, uh, really not much point to it. And then by the by the middle of the summer... Um, yeah, also at that point, the, the fifth the fifth generation guys, uh, Doi, Iwasa, Mishima, and Mori were really struggling with the transition from T2P to Torimon, and uh, they weren't doing well, and they had that match at World where it was just kind of like, these guys are the future, but uh, this, is, this was not a good match. Um, but, you know, we got Mochizuki's heel turn out of it, at the end, it took a year, but so it wasn't all bad. Yeah, I'd say that a lot of my frustration with Shin M2K was that, to me, it felt like that it was the unit that was going to give Second Doi something to to like give him the impetus to grow and kind of become a main player, and it didn't happen, especially yeah, it, until he joined Blood Generation. 
So it was a disappointment yeah. to me in that regard. Yeah, they started they started it towards the end of the new M2K era. If you when they were when him and uh, Shiji Kondo and uh, June were feuding over the British Commonwealth title, and uh, you know the tag league that year where Mochizuki was taking all the full, all the falls and Doi was getting all the pins. That seemed like the start of it, but then it just for whatever reason they completely abandoned it. I mean, he never he never got his foot he didn't get his footing back until Blood Generation. So then the, the last M2K incarnation was, of course, final M2K. And it was it was interesting because, you know, here you are trying a babyface M2K unit again, but this time it just really clicked for some reason and ended up lasting, you know, two plus years. And I, I always kind of thought maybe it was just having Susumu and Kness in there. It just felt like a real M2K unit again. But I don't know. Absolutely, yeah, it was. And again, that was a case of... Um, they were changing from Torimon to Dragon Gate, um, changing over the brand. It was important to have recognizable and comfortable, comfortable units, comfortable alignments and teams that people were familiar with to let them know that it was still the same company, even though it has the same name. You know, you're going to come to a show and you're going to see the same things that you saw before. So Final M2K was really important to the early days of Dragon Gate for that reason. And... Uh, you know, kind of fell off the rails at the end with like you know Nakajima involved and Magnum floating in and out and uh, Mochizuki leaving in 2006 and passing the leader to passing leadership to Susumu, who is not really a leader, at least at that time anyway, was not a leader type of guy. But um, yeah, Final M2K was very very successful. Yeah, I think one of the most well regarded units among the fan base even now. So. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so that, it, it was a fitting end to the MTK, M2K legacy, though, after, you know, after some rough waters there, the Magnum version and the Shin M2K version. It was good. They had such a prolonged run with Final. Yeah, yeah absolutely. So I before we started recording, I told Jay I had a couple random questions, and this is actually one of them about okay. that kind of goes with Final M2K. Uh, why was Tozawa... Uh, Arakan's kind of junior rather than Mochizuki's, especially since he was geared towards Final M2K and they, he threw down the jumper to form to Zawajuku. Like, I get that Hulk was with Magu and Shingo, of course, was with Shima. Why was it Arakan rather than Mochizuki? Uh, Mochizuki doesn't really train people. Uh, fair enough. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Easy answer. Yeah. Um... <laughs> So moving on then from M2K, uh, circling back, the so the unit that was that really was responsible for me becoming a fan more than any it was Itali- the Italian Connection. It was actually like the the very first Torimon tape I ever saw, purchased at a Mayfield Mayhem table, of all things, in um, at some random indie show, was the original T2P show, and. Just, you know, the the man responsible for me being a fan is Milano Collection AT. And obviously his unit was at the Italian Connection. And just they they just always struck me, you know, I, I have a lot of nostalgia for them as a result. But, like, they were just such a strange... They were unlike anything else I'd ever seen before as a wrestling fan. Because they were clearly supposed to be heels, especially in the early days of T2P. But, like, 
some of them cheated, but Milano and Yoshino never cheated. And it was almost like Milano was like a technique monster heel instead of a power monster heel, where he was just so good and he was so cocky and he knew he could beat anybody, but he didn't, you know, he never had to cheat or anything. It was just really, and he had that, that charisma that obviously drew you in immediately. But um, I don't know. So what was the reaction like when the Italian connection, this, this goofy group of fake Italians well, first showed up? Yeah. yeah, it was the, the first case of something that would become very, very common over the years is when a new unit forms, um, the, re- the, the reaction is laughter and like, what the hell is this? <laughs> but uh, it worked. It worked somehow. Um, I think Milano, Yoshino, and uh, Brother being so good at that, at that point in time helped it. And it was just, you know, the perception of... Nobody can beat Milano, and uh, you know towards the end, it uh, again it kind of fell off the rails when they added uh, Berlinetta Boxer as the <laughs> you know because they needed a, an Italian car to get around in, and uh, but no, I the Italian connection was also at that time my my favorite unit um, in terms of popularity. They uh, not as popular as you would think. Well, I remember um, you said on one of the timelines when Milano like submitted Shima clean at that TTP vs. Torimon show, it, it really didn't go over well, right? Yeah, yeah, um, it didn't. Uh, people weren't uh, people weren't. Ex- I think it was more shock than than anything. But uh, and also the the reaction to Shima beating him at the end of the year wasn't as uh, wasn't as big as I expected it to be. There were some really, really, really hot Crazy Max versus Italian Connection matches in the interim between the uh, Absolute Mente in September and then the blow-off show in December where you know Crazy Max would get so close. They'd get so close to beating him, but uh, it didn't happen, and the crowds were just... <clears throat> Crowds were just rabid for it, and then Sua finally pins Yagi for the first the first win, and the crowd goes nuts, and you're just like, wow, when Shima beats this guy, it's going to be insane, and it wasn't quite, it just ended up, I mean, the match fucking sucked, which was a big, which was a big deal, or a big part of it, but it just kind of, and then they did the, the, uh, the thing in, at the first Corkin of the following year, where they, every, they all came out and announced they weren't <laughs> Italian, and you know, Chuji Kondo comes out and says, you know, I don't need, I don't like fashion. I'm not from Kondati at all. I'm, I'm, you know, from here. Milano says I'm, you know, Akihito Terui, and you know all that. And it was just kind of silly, and it kind of it turned it into, turned it into again. You know, 2003 was the year of comedy, and uh, it was the most sports entertainment year of the the Torimon history. Not. So coincidentally, that it was the year that Ultimo Dragon was actually around and active, but uh, that's not yeah. here nor there. And it got unless... better after it got better after he left too. Kinda. It got better immediately after he left. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't know. Did did people realize at the time before before he left and all that that he was actually like, if anything, a detriment to the to the company? Um, it was quickly realized. Yeah. Um, and, you know, he gets, he gets a lot of credit deser- and deservedly so, but if you look at, I mean, the, the success of Torimon was based on 
the ability of his students and not necessarily anything that he did because if you look at the classes that the classes after T2P uh, you know when he (laughs) overdid it with all the comedy gimmicks and all the stupid stuff and it just nothing was ever quite as magical as those first two classes yeah I mean he it's funny that he ended up producing two two really talented wrestlers that just never did anything for him in Okada and Hajime Ohara, but like, um, well, o- Okada got him money to keep the to keep the dojo going. Yeah, <laughs> that's why he got you know the the sale to to New Japan when it was obvious that Torimon wasn't going to relaunch. But uh, you know that, but again, that's another story. Yeah, but, but it's just... know, o- Okada, you know, Okada was always clearly talented, but uh, unless you without the you know, the Gato push behind him, you know, you could put a lot of people in that slot. Yeah, but for sure. And that's another that's another story. <laughs> no, that's probably true. But hey, Hajime Ohara was good. I like him. But <laughs> where does he wrestle? Oh, he wrestles for he's, Noah. Now, yeah, he's still he? he's still in Noah, yeah. He's yeah. he's had a pretty like decent little career for himself. Like I never thought I I used to like for some reason I was always obsessed with him. Um, when like the Toriyama people went up on your website for a while, it was like him and Hiromi Horiguchi. I was really into, and obviously Hiromi Horiguchi never did anything, and we found out that he was like not even Genki's actual brother. No. But <laughs> it was a work, which was really funny. I don't know why Ultimo would give Genki a worked brother, but um, uh, they looked they looked very similar. I see. Like, he looked like him. That's why that's why they did it. Um. No, I feel like all those guys from, uh, you know, the Torimon X, the lower half of the Torimon X class onto the, the the UD UD06 guys, all have kind of carved out a pretty similar careers, similar careers for themselves. You know, you got guys like uh, the Salseros, like Ken Forty Five, <laughs> Takeshi Minamino. Um, they're all they they've, they've their baseline is all kind of around Ohara. All of those guys kind of have the same. They're good wrestlers. They've made careers out of it, but you know, yeah, maybe not what we thought they were going to be. You know, if Torimon had stuck around, you know, who would it be? You know, who would they be now? Right. You know, guys like Ishimori have done a little bit better, um, but and I don't know. It's inter- it'd be interesting to see if you know Dragon Door had stuck around because you know Dragon Door was going to be the big, in- going to be the the big integration of the x class and the next generation of torimon so but it never happened and yeah it's, and it seemed like with dragon door that what really sank it was when live door got caught and yes. the, because it seemed like it had all that money that potentially was going to be attached to it you also had the fact that milano was going to return and it just kind of, it had so much kind of potential in its way of being its own thing, but it was damned by circumstances. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly what happened. You know, I mean, you remember they had, they had Kota Ibushi too. Ibushi was a full-timer for them. Milano was going to come back. They had established Kondo and Ishimori as the big, you know, as the rivalry. But then, you know, didn't, uh, didn't quite work out because like he's the live door shock happened and, uh, hmm. And the shows themselves which were never good. The first show was good. The first show was really good. Um, the shows after that were 
absolutely, absolutely not good. Yeah. I remember the last show feeling was kind of cool from nostalgia's sake, I guess, but that was really about it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, but, uh, so I don't, we were, we were on the Italian connection, I guess. Um, so they kind of like went into, you know, a downward spiral when they, after the, they, like to me, after the Hagari, Hagar Gundam split happened, like that to me, it doesn't even really count as Italian connection, at least in my mind. I mean, they had this a long run where it was just Milano and Yoshino, and then they had, they eventually had Mori. But I don't know. I don't. I don't think of that as the Italian connection. You know, people forget. People forget. Uh, I'd totally forgotten about it myself, actually. But Italian. The, there was the Italian connection in Do Fixer. Yeah. Um, Alliance in two thousand four. After Magnum. Magnum lost his smile for a few months, and uh, you know it was Milano, Yoshino, Sumu, Horiguchi, and Saito were all this cool little this cool little unit for a bit but it never really didn't really feel like much of anything um and, and then that, they did the big italian revolution at the end of 2004 that went nowhere because everybody because milano decided to leave it was he just an ultimo loyalist or was that the deal with him uh, um it was more of anti anti-magnum <laughs> yeah you know same for sua where you know, yeah. he was lo- loyal to ultimo but more anti-magnum yeah and just i i got to see I'm, i mean in a way i'm happy he left because i got to see my favorite wrestler for live for a while and like when he did that ring of honor run i was out going to a lot of the shows then but like just even even when he just first showed up in ring of honor it just felt like something was missing and he never really got it back up i don't think yeah um yeah, he, never, he was never the same after he came to the States. I don't know, maybe it was because he ate too many. He, he fell in love with Pringles. <laughs> I remember that. And uh, he put on a lot of weight because of all the Pringles he ate. Like, this was actually this is actually a thing that happened. <laughs> and uh, America yeah. ruined him. That's yeah. But... Yeah, I saw him wrestle. God, where did I? I saw him wrestle fucking, I want to say Chris Hero. In a garage in Illinois, on like a IWA, whatever Ian Rotten's company. Yeah, that was IWA. Yeah, IWA, and it was just kind of like he he lost to like a half Boston crab, and he <laughs> was like doing a knee injury thing. And I just looked at him like you shouldn't have fucking left Dragon Gate. And he just gave me a dirty look. <laughs> but, did you really say that to him? Yeah, I did. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Like look at you! Like look at you now! You're getting stretchered out in a in a garage in nowhere, <laughs> Illinois. I mean, I guess he he probably enjoyed that he got to have a new Japan run, which ended up being cut short. But I mean, even when he was, you know, he's a very successful doctor now. So oh really? Well, I didn't even know that. He's um he does massage therapy with his feet. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, like actually, it, no, it's it's in it's in uh, over in Shinjuku, and you know, you can make an appointment. You know, anybody you know anybody can go. He doesn't have to be your physician. It's it's kind of it's kind of expensive, but you can get you know you can get massage therapy from Milano Collection with his you know, and he does all these different things with his feet to hit pressure points. And it's I, a friend a friend of mine goes whenever she's in Tokyo, and she says it's great. Sounds great. 
Sounds, <laughs> sounds sounds weird, but I'm sure it's great. Sounds like and, he applied Yave to something new, so good for him. <laughs> and he's um obviously you still see him on New Japan as a commentator, but yeah, I don't know. They they had that they had a long I mean I'm sure Jay doesn't watch New Japan and probably doesn't even know about this, but they had a long like thing where people actually thought he was gonna try to return to the ring because they kept teasing yeah, that night. Yeah, yeah. Right, yeah. yeah. But it, it doesn't seem like it's actually going anywhere. So they no, just kind of yeah, because his eye, right? His eyes, yeah, he can't. But I don't. He he like fanned the flames a little bit apparently and teased almost that he was training or something. But you know. he was training. He was training actually, but it was just it wasn't for wrestling. It was it was one of those someone someone else had had said that like I'm training for a comeback. Someone in the states posted on twitter i'm twi- i'm training and he was just training for health reasons and people thought he was training for a comeback i don't remember who i was. see yeah it was uh it was eating up the twitter for a while but yeah no it'd be, it'd be too bad if he came back and it was for new japan but <laughs> i just remember too after yashi came back this year he had a little tweet that was like brother goes back not me or something yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> That that was a that was a thing. Let me tell you, <laughs> they didn't because you know they didn't tell anybody. What the Yashi was going back? Yeah, like Yoshino was the only one that knew. That's that is kind of amazing. Yeah, I was talking so, to Doi about it, and I was just like, "Wow, I was really surprised when he came back." He's like, "Me too. <laughs> I have no idea." Yeah, and Yashi too. He was just like, "Yeah, I was really surprised they off they offered it to me." I was talking to him talking with him a couple of months back and he was just like, yeah, I didn't, I didn't expect the offer, but you know, I'm back as a freelance now and I really want to wrestle in the States because you can get weed easily there. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, his whole comeback has been, he, he, t- he took him a couple months to get back into the speed of it, but now he looks, it looks like he never left or something. Truly. Really. Yeah. I, I, Yashi's probably my favorite dude right now just because he's so different from every, everybody else. We don't really have... There hasn't been a really good character-driven heel in the company for God knows how long. So I, I, I enjoy watching him. He's so different from everybody else. I mean, obviously the comparisons to KZ, but KZ was always just kind of like a... Eh, he looked the same, but he was different. Yeah. I don't really know how to describe it. So I, I enjoy having Yashi around. And he does, he just, the, the it was ballsy of them just to have, to bring him back for that one show and then immediately put him back as a heel again. It was, uh, yeah. it was a cool thing they did. Yeah, yeah. He's, um, it's a shame he's not, not around more, but he, he's doing his own, he runs his own shows in Kyoto a lot that are kind of like combination, like, uh, night, cl- like, uh, reggae, reggae nightclub type deals using, like Tanizaki wrestles on the shows a lot, but uh, they're always there in Kyoto, so I haven't had a chance to go to one. But if he does one in Tokyo, I'd like to go to one. Wasn't he a show promoter after he retired, like doing concerts for a while? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's heavily, heavily involved with the the Rasta movement down in Kansai. So, where it's difficult uh, to get weed, as Matt Seidel would tell you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, don't don't try to go into Japan with. With a bunch of marijuana, everybody. Don't even, bring even drugs synthet- to Japan. Don't bring yeah. Adderall to Japan. Don't bring weed to Japan. My friend was asking me the other day, because I'm, I'm trying to get him to go to 
on my next trip and probably next August. And he was saying like, are they going to give me shit for my depression medication? And I was like, well, I mean, if it's legitimately prescribed medication, I, I doubt it. Um, but. it depends on what it is. I would have him tell him to look, look it up, but things like Adderall, um, anything that's a stimulant, uh, even if it's prescribed, you can't bring it in. Right. No, I think it's more like Zoloft kind of stuff. But. Yeah. Or, um, like, uh, NyQuil. You can't bring NyQuil either. Really? I didn't even know that. Yeah, NyQuil's like, banned here. Over-the-counter NyQuil. Okay. I'll have to remember. Yeah. I just, I, I use that sometimes when I get a cold, but I'll have to remember not to bring it bring, to Japan. Bring, um, like if you have a cold, bring cough medicine that doesn't have, um, doesn't have the, the sleep, sleep properties to it. Yeah. Um... <laughs> Yeah, so there you go, everybody. There's your Japanese drug advice. Uh, the Italian Connection. Um, so that was the Italian Connection. I guess the next unit, we, we've already kind of touched on them a bunch. Um, Hagar Gundam and Slash Agani Zoo. I know you were not really a huge fan well, of the was there, there was Do Fixer. Oh, yeah, we, we haven't talked about Do Fixer. Yeah, we completely oh my God. forgot. Okay. Do Fixer, I, I, their original run was very whatever but they're they're ba- they're i remember them like as a great baby face unit especially like after, after dragon kid after dragon kid joined like that's what basically in my head is like one of my favorite all-time favorite baby face units but it's more just out of loving ryu and genki but um yeah i don't know jay what your thoughts on do fixer are the original do fixer is one of my all-time favorite units actually because of the you know, conceptually and those guys together, it just, it was such a perfect fit. Um, once, you know, once Saito joined, you, know, you had Horiguchi, Saito, and Susumu as the workhorses of the team. Kness was the singles, the singles wrestler powerhouse. And you had Magnum in his, you know, his, his true form, as you could say. Was, together, they were just such a great unit. It, it went off the rails pretty quickly. Yeah. Um, yeah. I was going to say, I've been watching a lot of 2003-2004, and especially Kness during that time period, after the Absolute absolute Mente mask match, like, when he came back and Do Fixer form, like, he might have become one of my favorite, like, wrestlers to watch in Dragon Gate during that time period. Yeah, that was absolutely peak Kness up until, up until he got hurt at the, uh, in the tag league at the end of the year. Well, actually, no, he got hurt. The first shoulder injury was right before numero uno when he was doing, that was when he was doing the, you know, the feud with you, the first feud with Yoshino. He had to vacate the title and he missed all numero uno and he was just never the same after he came back. It's too bad. So that was the, uh, when he was doing the mind games, I can never pronounce his, uh, Sol Naciente. The Sol Nochezel. Yeah. Yeah. That's probably one of my favorite feuds of all time, the Yoshino Kness feud. That was I imagine... cool. Yeah, that was a cool little thing. And uh, I liked, you know, they had the match at World a few years ago where they played off that match a lot. And it was cool. It was cool to me. And the match wasn't really all that great, but because of all the little nods back to that feud, it was cool. I liked it. But then obviously, like you're saying, do Fixer, you know, you had that whole weird period where Magnum was like refusing to team with them and in late 2003. It just yes. kind of seemed like it never was the same. Yeah, it never, you know, they never got back on the same page. 
they they reunited at the end of the Magnum Milano match at the end of the year, but then Magnum quickly you know he lost the UDG title, lost his smile, was gone. Dufixer was with the Italian Connection, and then when he came back, it just didn't. You know, that, that's when Dragon Kid joined, um, but it didn't it didn't feel right until Magnum wasn't around, I guess. Yeah, and then it kind of turned into you know the the guy Kness and Susumu left to do final in 2K and uh it ended up just being uh you know Saito Horiguchi Dragon and Dragon Kid for the longest time which it's kind of funny because we talk about the Italian connection not making much of an impact because they only had two or three members where most people when they think of Dufixer they think of Three members. That yeah. period when there was only when there was only three members. You know, Tanizaki and, was around, but Tanizaki yeah. doesn't really count for anything. He was just kind of doing his own thing and losing a yeah. lot, basically. Yeah, he didn't. He officially became a Dufixer member not too long before he turned heel and joined Blood, Blood, Blood Generation <laughs> for like and, a second. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um. So it's funny you mentioned the Magnum Milano match again. Was Milano like the only guy in Dragon System history to have a better match with Magnum than Shima? Uh, Mochizuki had good matches with him. Really? I, I always loved the Mochi Shima matches, but I don't know. But yeah, just, I just remember the Magnum Milano match being uh, pretty good and the Magnum and we, the Milano Shima match being pretty bad. So. Um, hmm. Mm, yeah, yeah. Magnum had God. I want to think what it, what would what his best match would be, and uh, can't really think of one. <laughs> it's kind of interesting because with like Magnum, you had the whole Sua feud, but it like where he went into Kawasaki mode, but it just never like produced the results that you think for a feud that was supposed to be so heated. Yeah, yeah. Um, the funny thing, like the Kawasaki mode, and that you know, that was like a, it was a five minute main event. That and that was the show that kind of killed Kawasaki as a as a town for a while. That show was so bad. God. Um, yeah, I don't feel you know Sua. Aside from the feud with Dragon Kid, never really did much of anything, and he never really had. He was good at projecting his aura better than he was at performing. I guess yeah. I was just thinking about yeah the, the I was trying to think of a of a match of Sue's I really love it and like the only one that really came to mind was that two out of three falls match with Dragon Kid. Yeah, but, um, he had a good match with uh, he had a good match with Susumu at World two thousand two. Yeah, yeah. I might they, I might have actually liked him more in Noah than I did in Dragon Gate to be honest. Yeah, but, I was like the idea of Sue more than the. The reality of Sua. <laughs> um, but yeah, so Dufix are obviously a very important unit. I can't believe I forgot to mention them. Um, the Getting back to Hagur slash Agon, I wasn't a huge fan. And that was another period where I kind of checked out a little bit, where after Hagur, Hagari became Agon officially, I just really wasn't into it until, um, until it became Dragon Gate again. But I don't know. Agon... They were. We talked before about you know heels being heels and you know wanting to have bad people in them or whatever people that people don't people that people don't like. 
but like they just they kind of like sucked the fun out of everything it felt like it felt like it went too far in that direction they were just they were all over like if you like you said you're watching you know 2004 stuff i i did i rewatched all 2004 about two and a half years ago and they're they're just all over everything and it's just so it's tiring it's just so tiring um aesthetically again i love agonisa agonisa is my favorite unit aesthetically but I, like, I never want to have to watch them wrestle ever again. <laughs> um, you know, Sugawara sucked. Takagi, Shogo Takagi sucked. You know, Owashi sucked. Kondo was fine. Yashi was good. But the unit just sucked. Their matches sucked. They didn't have a good match with anybody. <laughs> it just wasn't it wasn't fun their promos weren't good once mochizuki left their promos were terrible there was just nothing redeeming about them except their t-shirt yeah i i people obviously this this i guess would qualify as a hot take but takuya sugarera did better in his dragon gate return than he ever did in agon and i know people didn't even like the dragon gate run but no he I, fucking sucked there too. <laughs> i was the biggest sugarera apologist but I enjoyed him a lot more then than I did watching him back in 2004. Yeah, I, I was really happy to have him back. And then he had his first match. And, God, it was just so awful. <laughs> like, I really liked him for whatever reason. But it was just like he was he's never been good. He's never, ever, ever been good. Well, now he's back in, I guess, in zero one. Doing doing junior title matches in front yeah, of like, like there, he has like three titles or so. I was looking at results this morning. Oh my god, he's he was with Voodoo Murders for a while. So him and him and Yashi were teaming before Yashi came before Yashi left Voodoo Murders when he came back. And so I was kind of interested in watching them as a team together, but I never I never actually watched anything, of course. But yeah, keeping an eye on it. But like he just won zero one's big junior tournament thing that they do every year but yeah Aganiso was uh anyway get back on topic um the first two months of Aganiso was really cool because you know Mochizuki lashing out against everything he said the funny kind of recognizing that 2003 had gone too much in the other direction in that everything is fun and playful and there's no real stakes to anything and it's kind of the same stuff that uh Takagi was railing against when he turned heel last year, you know, all the, the friendship club bullshit and everybody gets along and there's no real sense of competition because everybody's buddy, buddy with each other and they're going out to have exhibitions. And when Mochizuki turned, he was like, that time period is over. You know, the games end here, but unfortunately, instead of, uh, you know, they went, like you said, too far in the other direction. And once the, uh, El Numero Uno started and let El Numero Uno that year felt like it lasted like 16 weeks, felt longer like, than years. And this year's felt really, really long. Yeah. Um, and then it was, uh, you know, Sua getting hurt and they have to redo the whole thing. And it just ends up with Dragon Kid winning and it going nowhere. So hey, the Dragon Kid Empire. Yeah, you know, the, first, the first six months, <laughs> I, in hindsight, you understand why, but the, the, those six months 
the first six months of 2004 just felt feel so meaningless. Nothing happened. They reset the Mochizuki heel turn immediately. They, which you know, for good reason. Again, like in going over to Dragon Gate, it was important to have Mochizuki leading an M2K unit. Um, but you come out of you come out of uh, after World, and you just feel like nothing happened in the first half of the year. There was that. Dragon Kid wins on numero uno, and Magnum Tokyo comes out and steals his money and dances. He, he uses El numero uno to challenge for the UWA trios titles in the final match, in the, the final match for those titles in the company. And then you know, like Milano gets hurt, so he can't he can't join the UDG title tournament, which uh, kills the concept of you know the four the four leaders. With, you know, Dragon Kid, Magnum, or, or Dragon Kid, Shima, um, nobody from Dufixer, Milano, and then Kondo in the tournament. And the whole thing just felt... <sighs> that was probably my lowest point in terms of interest for a really, for a really, really long time. Like, I just did not give a shit about what was going on in 2004. It, it also kind of feels like, with Aigonisu, that it had such a good founding and then it just kind of eroded all that very quickly. Like we didn't really touch on Royal brothers, but the whole saga with, with Mori and, and, and Rio was such a great storyline and probably one of the better storylines of that generation uh, of workers in the company. And then Aiganisu just kind of did away with all the, uh, the, the, I don't want to say goodwill, but the momentum they had after the devastating turn on Mori. Yeah, because they turned it into comedy. Mm-hmm. And uh, the payoff was good. And the, at the Numero Uno finals, when Mori finally snapped out of it and went nuts on everybody. But then the feud kept going, and it paid off with a hair... It was... <laughs> you remember the payoff oh, to that? How Okamura getting his hair cut, right? Yeah, Isn't yeah, that what happened? Versus... <laughs> A hair versus hair match between for people that don't know it was Mori and Sugawara having a hair versus hair match. Uh, there was they did two of them. They did one where Saito got his head shaved instead of Mori, <laughs> and then they do a second one where Okamura gets his head shaved. So they do two hair versus hair matches where nothing gets where the loser doesn't get their head shaved, and then Sugawara gets fired. Dragon Gate used to Dragon Gate used to have a big problem with paying off the stipulations. They gotten better about it over the years, but. Tori wants less dragon gate. It used to be a problem. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It just felt so it felt so pointless. The whole thing felt so pointless. Um so but I, the one the one interesting I mean I my whole thing on Agon is I actually liked them better before they became Agon. Like I enjoyed their run just as these chaotic heels that were just kind of like, you know, I mean their name I think meant like straight army or whatever. That's what they yeah. felt like. They felt like these guys were just didn't really have a point. They just were destroying for the sake of it. Yeah, but, the name, name is essentially yeah, they're essentially the outsiders. Yeah. Um, yeah, the Kondo, the Kondo Yashi and uh, Owashi trio was uh, fresh at that time. So um, you know their little run through the the tag league and all that was really cool. But then uh, you know it led to the the. Uh, Kuness and Yoshino against Kondo and Yashi match at the 
the end of the year. So there was there was a lot of really cool stuff from that run, but uh, yeah, it didn't it went it didn't go anywhere, unfortunately. And then the weird thing about them, obviously, that they they were the the hero unit when the changeover happened, and then yes. just all of the focus that was on them for those first six months suddenly you couldn't find them with a fucking search party. Like it was well, amazing after the switch happened. Yeah, and again. I mean, there's there's a design behind that because you know you change your brand identity and you want people that come to your shows to have fun. And Aganisa was not a fun unit, so <laughs> no. you know you want them. So you're gonna want them to be the end. You, you want people to leave happy at the end of the shows. So um, it was better to you know they're either gonna lose or they're not gonna be on the show until you know the brand gets established. So. The, the I mean, they weren't, I, I remember looking at the Odaiba results for them, just looking for them. I think they took like 14 days to show up at all. Yeah, they were only really around on the on the, the premium shows, I think. Yeah. Which, but, which is good, which was, which was good. You, you, you want to have, when you're having little short fun matches, you don't want to have guys that aren't fun. And then obviously the, the end of Agon, I don't know if there's anything to say about that, except... You know. Yeah, I mean, they were. It was a new. You know, they they wanted to leave. They didn't want to. They didn't want to do all this. You know, when they were when the company was Torimon, the the kids. You know, whoever like the the current trainee class was, they did a lot of the the grunt work where you're putting up the ring and doing all the little stuff around that. When the when the changeover to Dragon Gate happened, there were no there were no kids anymore. There, you know, there was Takagi, Tozawa, and Hulk. The wrestlers had to take on a lot of the bulk of the responsibility, putting up the rings and stuff like that. And these guys, they, they didn't want to do it. So it came down to, well, if you don't do it, you're fired. Well, you know, we're not going to do it. So it was kind of, you know, we want to leave anyway. So go ahead and fire us. So basically they, they didn't, because I, I, I can't, I remember hearing something about like one of them was in charge of tickets maybe and fucked up or something, but I don't know. Uh, no, it was it was mostly the the the. You know how every now and then there'll be there was a there was a cork and I think it was last year where someone called out the Jimmies and they came out and they were carrying boxes. Yes. Um, because you know that was part that's part of the after show the after show duties is you clean up you pack up the merchandise you take the ring down you pack up the truck and that's something that you know, everybody has to do it and the Aganiso guys didn't you know that was one of the things that they didn't want to do they didn't want to be a, they didn't want to do all that that's why one of the things in the press release was you know neglect of duties they didn't want to do that stuff and not to mention you know there was you know, yashi acting inappropriately at uh some type of event that involved important people from fuji tv and there's a lot of stuff going on but they also wanted to quit so is that at the end of the day at the end I of did... the day it was, we're fucking quitting no we're firing you yeah basically and the yacht the the yashi i mean i heard that yashi story too at the time and it was like that's probably why I was most like he was the one I was I would have been most surprised to see show up again out of all of them. And he the fact that he's the one who returned. I guess maybe yeah. he just did a lot of growing up or something. You know, he retired for a few years and the past is the past at the end of the day. You know, those guys spend all those all that time together in Mexico training and Forming bonds and friendship because Yoshino, Yoshino and Shachi are best friends to this day. But Yagi and Yashi were part of that class too. Yeah, you know, and Owashi as well. All of those guys are all 
you know, you argue with your friends and stuff happens, you drift apart, but, you know, you reconnect and time heals. Maybe there's uh, hope. You know, Kondo, there's hope you know, for Shuji Kondo return, yeah. No, Kondo, Kondo will never come back. <laughs> um, Kondo pouted his entire way through that one match on the Gower Super Show a few years ago. He was, you know, he doesn't need to come back anyway. He has, there's no no need for him. Olashi would be cool to come back and do, like, comedy stuff. But, yeah, he's really funny, DDT. But yeah, he—it's funny the way that, like if you had watched him originally, you never would have guessed that he would have had this long career as a comedy wrestler. But well, we sure laughed at him back then. <laughs> I, um, I kid, I love Awashi. <laughs> so that's Agon. Um, I guess we can try to get into some of the first Dragon Gate units now. Um, I mean, we already talked about Final M2K which will be like the very first Dragon Gate unit. And then, obviously, the big one is Blood Generation. Blood Generation. And it's really impossible to talk about them without just sounding like you're gushing. But, like, without Blood Generation, there might not be a Dragon Gate. Um, they were... Yeah, and when you say that, I think it's more the, uh, the, second, the second half of Blood Generation is probably much more influential than the first part of Blood Generation because the... Second half of Blood Generation is the the international version of Blood Generation where they had all of the foreigners come in, where guys like Jack Evans and Matt Seidel, and it kind of set the it set the standard for you know allowing the high level foreigners to come, and you know the guys that have become the staples now, you know it's Peter and uh, Peter and Flamita now, but guys like Ricochet, Pac, without that part, without that run of blood generation we would have never got you know world one international and other units like that that have happened you know the original blood generation obviously as a heel unit and the the legacy of you know the doyoshi team coming out of that blood generation and establishing those two guys as higher level players and takagi obviously you know had his first uh first experience with success in blood generation but i think the second the second half is much more influential than the first one the first one was just kind of like a cool concept heal unit but the second one actually set uh set a standard for the company in terms of uh making a home for foreigners that's interesting i I never thought of it like that honestly but the the first blood generation no when it first started like i just remember the fan base just this feeling at the time of like despair, you know, when you're losing Agon, you're we were about to lose Milano, and there are already kind of rumblings about that. And it just felt like that blood generation, the focus on them, and then especially the feud with Do Fixer, just like gave you something to be happy about again with Dragon Gate, kind of. Yeah, it. Uh, you know, they went back to their roots essentially. You know, they started doing a lot of two out of three falls matches. They did a lot of really, really basic stuff. And, uh, you know, it was, it was simple and it, it just it worked really well. I remember the, you know, the night that it formed sitting there waiting for results to come in, you know, this is you know, 2005. There was no Twitter. There was no, I was just basically sitting around waiting for, waiting for emails. And, uh, like they did the, they did the reveal of, you know, it was, Shima Fuji, Takagi, and Shisa. And, you know, they kick Shisa out. 
and uh, I was like, okay, well, this is kind of this is kind of weird, but okay. But then Doi turned in the in the match where Doi in the opening in the opening match. Yeah. Like, okay, okay, here we go. So <laughs> this is getting interesting now. I I just rewatched this actually the other like last week because I just you know I thought I figured we'd probably talk about them and the the funniest thing to me about it was they originally announced this main event of like um oh god it was like Shima um I guess Shima Fuji and Takagi against like Naoki Shiza and somebody like Genki I guess Mag- it was like Magnum no Magnum got added I think that's uh, what I'm saying it- yeah, it was it was a weird it was a weird match. Yeah, but I remember the fans laughed at it when they first announced that main event. The fans were like, you could hear them laughing, like, "What the hell is this main event?" And then they had that opening tag match where Doi turns on Mochi when they're facing Magnum and Dragon Kid, and they add they after the match is over, they they suddenly announce, "Okay, it's actually an eight man tag, and Doi's on this Blood Generation team, and Magnum's on the Babyface team, and now it feels like a main event." But it was just you get this weird like laughing response to the original main event. And just that promo where they first introduce Blood Generation and the concept with like the sign, it just felt it's it comes off like a complete comedy segment. Which Well, yeah, which is yeah. par for the course. And then it just the it really wasn't clear until until they ran in and helped Joy beat the crap out of uh you know, helped Joy beat the crap out of everybody in the ring after that opening match yeah. where it's like, okay, actually this is a serious heel thing. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It was cool. It was really cool. It set this, and it was the start of. Uh, you know, people forget that uh, a few weeks before that, Shima got pinned by Saito, which also set the tone for the year. So you had, you know, that night was Blood Generation forming and Saito beating Milano. So which that was, I forgot how great that match was. That match was yeah. like outstanding. I just rewatched, I rewatched that one too. Like that was a hell of a way from Alana to go out, but yeah, yeah, he did his. Uh, it was it was cool. Two thousand five was a good year. But um, Michael, do you have anything to say about Blood Generation? I think y'all pretty well summed it up. I remember actually the first time, uh, as with most Americans or non. Hormon fans, your exposure was that second half of Blood Generation and Ring of Honor. So, going off what Jay said about the international expansion, I mean, really, I mean, you wouldn't have so many of these units that came since. You wouldn't have had Monster Express. You wouldn't have all this without kind of the uh, Blood Generation international time. And uh, again, what it did for Doi and Yoshino's career really can't be overstated. I mean, y- Yoshino was already kind of positioned better than Milano for a while, but this kind of was the thing that really like solidified the Doi Yoshi team. And if you want to look at the beginning formation of the six pillars, that kind of started then. Yeah, and then and then obvi- I just remember too. Obviously, uh, so Jay and I actually saw the the Blood Generation do fixture match live. That Dave Buffalo Meltzer ended up giving, yeah, no, no, no. This this was uh, Chicago. Oh, the Chicago man. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. First, the very first stuff was Buffalo, but yeah, the six right. man. Which I was at that too. The Buffalo thing. Yeah. I came all the way. Yeah, we gave you a ride <laughs> and you were late. Yeah, and um, I felt pretty stupid going all the way to Buffalo 
when then they started coming like nonstop everywhere. But like at the time, you know, when they first announced that Shima and Shingo were coming over to Buffalo, it was like, well, you know, you have to you have to get up there. I mean, you, you, we, yeah. they they didn't come any, ever before that. So it was like, especially the East Coast, I was like, I had to find a way. And I just happened to get the guy who ran the Osaka Hurricane site at the time to give me a lift all the way to Buffalo. But um, but yeah, then obviously I went to Chicago for Mania weekend, which you also you went and didn't go to Mania, right? No, I didn't go to Mania. We went home. <laughs> and yeah, I mean it was a pretty crappy Mania anyway. You didn't miss that much, honestly. But the just that to be there for that match was really cool. I I just remember a feeling of just being flabbergasted when Dave Meltzer gave it five stars at one match of the year. It was like this really wasn't even the best blood generation. Yeah, it was, it was, yeah, yeah. That, uh, yeah. I mean, the but, two out of three falls match was just so much like a million times better, but I don't know. Yeah, well, I mean, the world match from 2005, which is still, you know, one of the best best matches, but yeah, but you know, it got exposure, and that's where a lot of people. That was an entry point for so many people. Um, it's kind of lost now that that was actually the end of the heel blood generation. Yes, because Shima shaking hands with everybody afterwards. I remember talking with Shima afterwards. He was like, "Wow, this is so great. You know, I, I want to come back." And we're just like, "Don't bring Gamma." <laughs> and he, just, he made this face, and he's just like, "Why? You don't like Gamma?" <laughs> just like, "No, we don't like Gamma." This was There's a guy who's right yeah. when Gamma had shown up, and uh, before he had endeared himself to the uh, to the masses. There's a guy who had a way longer career than I ever would have guessed in a million years when he first showed up, right? I mean, just his ability yeah. to talk. Yeah, you know, the feud with Shima, which is you know, legendary, but uh, God. It, I think a lot of it came from uh, that time period was when Shima was at his most insufferable. <laughs> so... You know, him being the foil to Super Shima at the time was just kind of like, God, why isn't Saito main eventing this show? Or why isn't Susumu is Dreamgate champion? Why isn't he main eventing this show? Why or why is it all this bullshit? But yeah. Uh, no, Gamma's cool. He's a nice guy. He seems like a really nice guy, actually. People love but... him. People love Gamma. A friend of mine is like super, super, super Gamma fan. He always had one of the largest banners, I feel like, for the last yeah. longest time. Yeah, she, uh, yeah, Miwako, she loves Gamma. But, uh, he, yeah, when he, when he showed up, it was, it was bad. It was really bad. No one wanted him <laughs> around. What made it interesting was he showed up not too long after being on the last Dragon Door show. So yeah. It was like, uh, do, Jay, do, do you remember when, um, when Dragon Gate, I guess they were wrestling. Um, they were wrestling some guys from this promotion called WrestleGate, and Shima joked. I, this had to be years later that they should have a match where the loser had to change the promotion's name to Door, <laughs> so they would have been. They would be Dragon Door. <laughs> Dragon Gate lost. Oh God, yeah. <laughs> vaguely, I vaguely remember that. I just hit. I, I don't. I don't know why I just thought of that, but I that always stuck with me. It's like he like Shima can be kind of an asshole to just yeah. <laughs> make a little crack like that years after Dragon Door was even a thing. But yeah, like this probably, had to yeah, be honestly, he probably wasn't even thinking of it. He probably just thought it would be something something dumb to say. <laughs> but, 
Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah. So blood generation, obviously that bleeds into muscle outlaws, which are they're a unit that I don't know. They're a unit I remember not liking at the time that much. I just remember them being so bloated and filled with all the f- random foreigners and random heel people and just they felt like so weird but every time i watch the historical footage now it's like what 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 was i thinking muscle outlaws is really fun but maybe it's also just like you know having connections to doi and yoshino and even gamma on these people now but i don't know they're, they're the, the unit for me that feels the most at the time i didn't really like them and the heel ref thing i wasn't really that into at the time but now when i go back and watch it it's just like well this is actually really fun but i don't know um, hmm. they're a bridge unit. Um, you know, they didn't, you know, the muscle, the muscle thing was still very much the, the blood generation identity and they didn't, uh, I don't know. I, I liked them more at the time than I do now. Like 2000, the 2006 muscle outlaws, Absolutely not. Like when, like you said, it was just this this dumping ground for all the the heel foreigners that showed up, and the heel ref thing was going on. But once once they they did the 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 second the second incarnation of Muscle Outlaws when it was Doi Yoshino, Kanda, the heel ref was gone. Um, I really liked that version of Muscle Outlaws much better. Um, of course, they became Real Hazard, which. Yeah, but uh, <laughs> no, uh, Muscle Outlaws worked really well once uh, they were doing the three-way unit thing with uh, you know Typhoon formed and New Hazard formed, and there was they actually had other strong units to play off of. They were they were a really good heel unit for that that time period, but two two thousand six was just such a cluster that uh, there was nothing good going on yeah. in that back half of the year. That it would be, it's really hard to find anything likable or anything that had any sort of sense to it in that time. You know, Final M2K had no identity. You know, Mochizuki left, and the Renaissance thing was going on. You know, he was doing Renaissance with Fuji and, uh, and Magnum. So you had Susumu as the leader of M2K, which um, makes sense on paper, but in execution it wasn't, you know, it, it sucked. Saito, you know, Saito plummeting to the bottom of the the bottom of the card. Um, Fuji winning the Dream Gate. You have all these things that just made no made no sense, and you know, Muscle Outlaws were a part of that, and they were very much, you know, Tanizaki leaving also took away you know one of the one of their members. So it came down to like you know, Yoshino was the 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 lost post for them for the longest time, which sounds so weird in hindsight. Yeah, but it really does. Dropping, Dropping falls to you know Roderick Strong on pay-per-views, and uh, that was also the year they really overdid it with the foreigners coming in. Yeah, and it was just yeah. like Jesus Christ. And you had like Mr. Primetime and Jardy France coming <laughs> in, and like Muscle Gangs. Having... Isn't that when yeah. Adri that Adriel guy was like there forever as like a yeah. as like a young young boy? And because yeah, it's so yeah. weird because he never he never did anything after that i feel like anywhere and then there was there was this hornet there was that guy hornet from toronto was around and kevin steen was around and 
Eric Cannon in his garbage bag pants were around. And, <laughs> um, they they come back after that. I guess they learned their lesson, kind of. Um, yeah, yeah. When in two thousand seven, when they just it came down to, okay, we got we got Jack, we got Matt, and we'll do Wrestle Jam, and some guys will come in for that. Maybe they'll do a few weeks before or after, but otherwise, you know, let's let's slow down on this. Yeah. Which in the hindsight was obviously the right decision. Yeah. Because, when, yeah when, did, when did the Young Bucks come in? Was that like 08 or 09? Young Bucks was 2008. Yeah. Because okay. they were around, uh, they were on the No the no Ring show. They were in the uh, Tag League that year. But that was that was the year they did their tour. Yeah. They were there in 08 and 09. I feel like the beginning of 2010 because they were part of, they were members of World One right. for a while. I see. So, but yeah, so that's Muscle Outlaws. Um, they're still in half of my favorite, probably my favorite Dragon Gate match ever still, which is the the New Hazard versus Muscle Outlaws Triangle Gate match at World of Seven. But really? yeah, I I love that match. I don't I don't know, <laughs> I don't know why that's my favorite matchup. But whenever I go back and watch, it's just that's it holds up better so well for me. I don't know, but you know the you know the finish was the finish was blown right? Yes. Yeah, yeah. That was. I've only I've only seen it once. I only wa- I watched it when it happened. I haven't seen it since. Then. Was it really that good? I don't. I really love I that match. I don't. Know. I have no. I have no memory whatsoever the... aside from them being mad at the referee at the end. I don't know. I just I I just re I showed it at my um, I showed it at my panel. I did at an anime con last year, and mm-hmm. it got over. It got over really well in the room too. So I don't know. Really. But, cool. Yeah. I don't know. I I, I mean. So we're. Maybe it's a weird pick. I was going to say, John, I think my favorite Dragon Gate match might be a little weirder than yours. So, really? Yeah, the Tozawa Juku uh, unit disband Triangle Gate match. So, oh, no, that's awesome. I love that match, too. Yeah. That match is awesome. Yeah. That match is so good. Then again, I'm just a giant fan of all three of those guys, and I miss Taku Awasa so much. Yeah. He's getting I mean, uh He's getting his art degree though. Like that's what his he left he left uh, wrestling to become like a graphics designer. That's pretty cool, he's, actually. Yeah, wow. he's off doing his thing. Yeah, he's all over the footage I was watching too from yeah. 07, and yeah, he was great. He was great in Ozawa Juku. Um, Kamikaze just kind of disappeared pretty soon, quickly after that form. But uh, yeah, he had that Drave. He had that Dreamgate <laughs> match. <laughs> Where Dory kind of t- tells him like what, like you don't deserve this, and then gives it to him anyway. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> like that was you know, he earned the title shot by losing a singles match to Mochizuki. It was it was weird and really really set the tone for Doi's title reign and the quality of challengers that he dealt with for the first <laughs> six months. It's too yeah. bad. Yeah. It's too bad because those two had a good match, mm-hmm. but it just felt it felt so flat because well. Yeah. Obviously, I think we're getting. Doi might Doi might get another chance here soon. So, you think? I mean, you, you don't I think don't, so? Uh, I don't. I think that if Yamato had def- had made two or three more defenses in this time, it would make it. Uh, I would believe a little bit more, but I don't know if they're just gonna. Mm. I don't know. Like, I really don't. I'm I'm unsure enough to the point where the match is going to be exciting. Yeah, but I feel like I feel like Yamato is winning. 
I just I feel maybe it's my wishful thinking. Just I'm so into this babyface turn, but because which is funny because I never really liked babyface story that much. But just I don't know. Just it, the years of goodwill he's built up now as a heel again, and just how he's just been so like energetic in these promos, and just I don't know. I'm I'm very into it. Do you guys want so. to see him back with Yoshino? Yes. I think it has to happen at this point, especially after the uh, Gate of Destiny match. I mean, it, we all know what how it's all going to end, but it seems like that that's the kind of the end point there, that it's going to be a Doyoshi unit. But what if Yoshino turns on him? <laughs> is, is, is that really possible? Yoshino I, is a healer? Yeah, I'm really, really suspicious of this match they've got coming up at Corkin in a few weeks. Hmm. Really, really, really suspicious. I, if Yoshino turns heel now, I, I, I'm gonna, I'm, I never even gave it a thought for a second. So, until <laughs> you just mentioned it, I just, I don't know. Ever since he turned babyface, he just felt like such a babyface to me. But yeah. I never really imagined him as a heel again. But I guess it could happen. Takagi and T Hawk is the top two in a unit is just dire. So I feel like there's a chance that it's gonna happen. Um, I, it'd be something. But the, it'd be something yeah. But I guess my thing about Yoshino turning heel is, at least to me, it seems like that for the last two or three years, he's been the guy who gets the biggest face response. And did... Yeah, but he's been babyface for nine, almost nine years now. So That is it, true. It could happen. But, but then again... Uh, I, was I mean, you, could, you, you have Doi, Yamato, and Hulk to a lesser degree... I guess yeah. and Shima to carry the babyface side. So yeah, the more the more I think about it, I could see it. The the one thing is though with Tozawa leaving, you lose um, one of the things you you lose is that Yoshino Tozawa end of the sh- end of show banter mm-hmm. that ends so many of like the Corkins and the Osaka Osaka shows where you know they just have the friendly conversation back and forth, regardless of the results of the main event, you know, whatever happens to send people home, you know, laughing or smiling. And with Tozawa gone, I feel like they might, uh, might want to put Doyoshi back together just for the sake of having that banter at the end of shows. But, you know, Yoshino turning would be kind of interesting because it hasn't happened in so long. And, you know, you could get a good thing out of it of, you know, have, you know, I've had to carry, Chachi Hoko Boy around for the last however many years, and you know, T Hawk was right. And Tozawa abandoned me and left me with this guy. And you know, we brought Peter in, and he doesn't show up for the match. And you know, Big Arshimizu is a fucking dumbass. And <laughs> you could, you know, it could work really, really well. I don't know if they're going to do it or not, but it could work really well. I have to say, I love the Big R is a dumb, sh- is a dipshit banter. I don't know why. It's just one of the funniest things to me. Because he's a because he is a dumbass. That's what, makes it, that's what makes it work. He really is just like, just not not a he's not a smart man. I, I I mean, just his farewell speech, just getting progressively more and more into Zawa's face. Like he's just like a oaf. And low key, my favorite storyline of 2016 is how he's managed to talk his way into getting both his units disbanded. Like, yeah, he's um. He's what we call what they call in Japanese. We call the, he's KY 
it's Kuki Yomenai, which is like he doesn't, he does, he's unable to read the room. And he's like, doesn't um, know how to pick his spots in terms of when to say things or how to say it. So that's why he's, he's, he's just like, he's such a dumbass. He just doesn't understand. He doesn't understand the situations he's in. He's just like, I'm big Arshimizu and I'll pin you and bring mm-hmm. it on. And then loses his place while talking and says really strange things. And it's, he's better as a comedy character than he was just as a big serious, as a serious fighter. Which is all pretty great because I've loved the Mochi Big R tandem. And especially adding Don Fuji to that, you you, you can bring back the whole Ryotsu Shimizu thing. So. Yeah, you know they're kind of like a new a new Zetsurin's trio. It's kind of kind of cool. I hope they keep them together. And then obviously the having him and T Hawk team together this year briefly, I feel like has added something to that T Hawk Shimizu rival, you know, feud that just never really existed before. Yeah, because never felt it never felt like anything before, and now it kind of feels like something. T Hawk, T Hawk, <laughs> you're not digging the heel turn. No, I think T Hawk's the worst the worst guy on the roster yeah. by far. He's, he's he's a better promo now than he was if, before the turn, but he's he's not a good promo. He doesn't project his presence very well. His matches are very boring. I'm uh, not not on the T Hawk bandwagon. I'm not a T Hawk fan at all. I've I've liked him since the heel turn more, but I don't know. The babyface form was going nowhere for sure. Yeah, I haven't. I was all in when he, when he was in Bad Blanky, but um, since then, nah, nah. <laughs> um, oh god, we kind of. I don't even remember where we were. I guess we were at um, Muscle Outlaws, and then we kind of got on all these tangents. But so Poss Hearts, Poss Hearts, we could talk about. They were. They were a unique unit, a spinoff of Do Fixer. Yeah, and... the, the brother unit to Do Fixer. Pause Hearts was uh, BB Hulk, Mori, Super Shisa, um, Magnum sometimes. Um, not really much to say about them. They got they got kind of a they were hot out of the gate, but then they got destroyed by Blood Generation repeatedly, and they just kind of disappeared for a while. They had that fun little run at the very end, like when they came back together. I remember yeah. the Muscle Outlaws matches were fun. Yeah, they had some good, but they were they were gone for most of 2006. They were brought back at the end of the year to do a last little Triangle Gate feud with Muscle Outlaws. They traded the belts a few times, and then they were the first unit to lose a unit to Spans match. So that's their that's their place in history. <laughs> yeah. And uh, awkward dancing in between. Lots of awkward dancing. They they did not even have a theme song, right? Because I was trying, uh, I was thinking, it, but they just came yeah. out to Hulk same. It was BB Story. Yeah, BB Story yeah. was their theme song because they right. they danced they danced with Hulk, basically trying to recreate Do Fixer. And uh, you know, it was um, weren't bad. There was just nothing. There was nothing to it. Yeah, and being inactive for. A year out of their two years of activity doesn't didn't really doesn't really help their legacy all that much. They did a reunion match uh, during Maury's retirement run. I think it was on a pay per view, actually. I want to say it was like at uh, Osaka. 
that yeah. year, where it was like the Poss Hearts final. Let me, let me look it up. Yeah, I was um, going to say, I thought it might have been uh, at what could have been Gate of Destiny that year. Yeah, I feel I think it was too, because I was just looking at results of that show. It was interesting um, too, like after, I guess because of Pause Hearts, after Typhoon broke up, they always kind of had like, it was always like Mori and the She's a Family were a quasi not quite unit. And it was like, I guess because of Pause Hearts, they always had that connection. Yeah, yeah. Oh, God, they wrestled Saito, Horiguchi, and Nosawa. <laughs> huh. Yeah. Oh, I'm sure Nosawa was great in that match. Oh, wow. as, he, as he always is. Did Nosawa do the job? No, Saito pinned Mori because Mori was, you know, losing everybody on his way. Oh, this was a show that had Choshu on it. Ah. <sighs> Yeah, this, so show doesn't look all that, this show doesn't look all that great. <laughs> no, well, it's 2009. I mean, 2009 was... It was, it was, 2000, oh, it was 2010. 2010 at the end of the year yeah. was also pretty bad, too. So yeah. Oh, Deep Tora and KZ. Huh. So I that was pot... <laughs> I don't remember anything about this show. Jesus. I don't I, I don't remember anything about it either, to be honest. So it was fine. It's a very forgettable period, I guess. That was Poss Yeah, that... Yeah, I I I remember their I remember their run against Muscle Outlaw is probably the best. I think that's probably what sticks with me the best from their from their whole run. Um, what's your Poss Arts memory, Mike? Really, just being Hulk's launching point. Like the Muscle Outlaws was probably their match high point, but really outside of it being kind of. Hulk's unit and Magu just kind of at that point just do it really getting into doing his own thing like no like like I totally understand the importance of Magnum Tokyo but really at this time I was completely like when I've rewatched it completely done with him so yeah it's yeah. funny I I liked him when I was a fan originally and now when I Rewatch this shit. I'm just like, what the fuck was I ever thinking? Because he's just so terrible in these um, matches. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I guess it's just the charisma and the dancing and everything. I got caught up in it, but like, wow, trying to watch him wrestle now in hindsight is like, okay. My my Poss Hearts memory. I mean, you guys summed it up pretty well. But my there was a Corican show in August where they did like a Blood Generation versus Poss Hearts three match series type thing, and like. The, the combined time of the three matches was somewhere it was something around 12 minutes and they defended the triangle gate. It was like an eight minute triangle gate title defense in match three or something like that. And Chima was telling Shisa he was going to piss in his mask. <laughs> just like, that was like uh, total complete and total burial. So like they all got, they got shipped <laughs> off to Mexico for a week and they came back and Hulk, and Hulk got his first win after that and everything, but it was just like... I don't know why that line is killing me so much, but it's such a classic Shima heel line. I'm going to piss in your mask. Uh, Okay, so... That's Pazars. I guess we can... Tozajuku. Yes, Tozajuku was amazing. My favorite. Um, He didn't want to do it. Really? You know, that's the funny thing is, yeah, you know, the, the obviously the the he didn't want to do Metabolic Brothers 
was is the famous story. But uh, he didn't want to do Tozawa Juku either. So wow. uh, he, but he was forced to do it, and uh, he was he was like, you know, if I if I don't do it, I'm not I don't I'm not gonna have a job. So I had to do it. But uh, he made it work. He he made it work really really well. And it's funny how. It, it was just supposed to be him and Iwasa replacing the Florida brothers as the, the you know the comedy duo, but um, Doi got injured. Shit happened. They had to plug Iwasa in, and he got super over as a serious as a serious dude. And uh, Tozawa was never, despite being his unit, he was never serious. But so him remaining as a comedy wrestler with all this seriousness and like great matches going on around him. It's kind of really, really interesting to watch in hindsight. Oh yeah. Like Araiwa still probably is my favorite Dragon Gate tag team. Like the, uh, d- like the Yamadoi run was incredible last year into this year, but just the kind of matches that they were happening, that they were having, like the no ropes match, the mat, like the Corkin that you were talking about that the uh, young bucks were on where they had to wrestle without a ring. Like that was an incredible match. The uh, the end of Tozawajuku, like with the uh, w- with the cork in ahead of time with Super Shisa, with the elimination match was incredible. Oh god! Like yeah, that match was so good. It just like the way that it ended up for me. Like probably I, I I mentioned this earlier. My favorite match is that Gate of Destiny Triangle Gate match. Everyone coming out in white. Kochi Shishido, even when in white with the uh, flag, it was just, yeah. it was just incredible. Like, yeah, the last, the they were my favorite unit essentially throughout. But the last, the last five months when it was Tozawa, it was Tozawa on a diet. Arakan, Iwasa, Shinobu, El Generico. It was like such a good streamlined. You know the match. You know the matches were great. The gimmick was great. The promos were great. Everything finally clicked, and you know, unfortunately, it was the end of them. But that that run was so good. It was the highlight of two thousand eight for me. Did they did they break them up kind of because they they knew it was like Tozawa put his time in. It was time to give him something else to do. It was just it was time. You know they had been around. They, it was two years, and because of the, you know there was <laughs> they started as a comedy unit. So there was always going to kind of be the stigma that they were a comedy unit. Yeah. So it was, I mean, it was time, it was time to break them up, but uh, it's, it's sad that they didn't get to, you know, a few more months after, since they had just, you know, they were hitting their stride and, you know, Shinobu didn't stick around and obviously El Generico went on to go back to the orphanage and had stuff to do there. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. So that's an amazing story you told me. I didn't know that Tozawa didn't want to do it. You would never want to guess watching him on TV. He just seemed so into it. But I don't know. Yeah, well, that's that's Tozawa. He made it work. <laughs> he did, did, so he just didn't want to be a comedy wrestler, I'm guessing? Um, wasn't what he wanted to do, yeah. Yeah. Wasn't what he wanted to do. But... Um, but you know, Tozawa Juku is the reason that I'm I'm involved with. I'm actually you know involved and do work for Dragon Gate directly because I wore the Tozawa Juku T-shirt to uh, the sh- in, to their shows in Detroit, and 
you know, the office guy's like, wow, where did you get that? And I was like, you know, I bought it from here. He's like, oh, wow, you, you know, and so I ended up chatting with him and becoming friendly with uh, the guy who ran the old Dragon Gate USA office. And if I hadn't worn the shirt to that show, I probably wouldn't live on this godforsaken island. <laughs> um, but so that, I guess that's Tozawa Juku. Um, they, like you guys are saying, the end of it was probably one of the highlights. I just remember to, like, your, at the time, I remember, like, when they first formed, your show reports, you were, like, clearly so excited at just the idea of them and, like, getting, it felt like that was the one thing you were super, super into at the time and just getting these yeah. reports from fans. Yeah, 2006 sucked and they were, like, they were, Tozawa Juku was a bright spot of 2006 for me absolutely i hated everything else that was going on i i guess i have one last question or kind of comment about tozawa juku before we move on koji shishido and his little run that he had there that he ended up in king of gate like he never really was much of a wrestler but he was always it was always one of the things that struck me was that you had this one guy that was just such a kind of a stoic character than his other character that he would play later or when he disappeared showed up was he just was like for one like he seemed much older than someone that was entering the system at that time and then like he had like his double moonsault and or was it a single moonsault i haven't watched it was the the same moonsault that tomonaga does now like the, the the best moonsault ever type of uh double jump moonsault right like, well, I remember um, reading, like, that he became, like, a really popular figure to the crowd for a little bit, and he got him from fan voting, and it just was one of those things that kind of stuck out for me for a little bit. Yeah, he was uh, he was really, really popular, He wa- and he was older than everybody because he joined the system at an older age than everybody else, and he was around for a really long time, kind of like a, uh, almost like a Punch Tomonaga type of situation where it took him a really, really long time to debut. And that's why, uh, his, the match in Cork and where he date where he debuted teaming with Maury against the referee and all that way. It was such an emotional thing because it was him finally, after all the setbacks and everything, finally achieving his, uh, achieving his, his dream. So unfortunately his, you know, physically he couldn't keep up with being a full-time, a full-time guy. So he did the comedy thing. He did Jackson, Florida, and then, you know, dropped out of wrestling. Wasn't he office for a little bit? Yeah, he was um, not so much off. He was staff. Kind of like um, how Maury ended up. Uh, Maury's in charge of tickets and all that now. Um, Shishido was kind of like he'd be at the merchandise table and he would do like little work, like the same stuff that Iwasa was doing while he was out injured. And okay. he would be, he'd be at body adapt working, or he'd be at the mer- running the merch table at shows or doing little administrative stuff. Not so much, you know, management, but he was, you know, he was staff. I guess when, when I, when I hear the word office, I think management, he was office staff, but not like an office like uh, manager type of deal. Okay. I guess. And he hasn't he hasn't wrestled anywhere now, right? Um, no. People thought he was. Um, uh, there's a, a comedy guy that wrestles with a cane. 
um, on Indies, uh, Kabai Jichan, I think is his name. And people thought it was him for a while, but it's not him. So no, he doesn't wrestle anymore. Yeah. So that's Koji Shishido. Um, he was, uh, he was cool. Yeah. You know, he was around. Is, I realize you guys never specifically said this. We should probably know he was Jackson, Florida, everybody. Yeah, he was Jackson, Florida. <laughs> so he um, never, we just kind of hinted at it, but he was Jackson, Florida. Which it's kind of funny because, uh, the reason he didn't wrestle seriously is because he couldn't physically take it, but he would take some gnarly bumps as Jackson, Florida. So it was kind of like, you know, can't, I don't know. I thought it was kind of, I always thought that was kind of strange, but he was on, you know, he was part of the original next class. Uh, he got dropped on his head a bunch of times and just, uh, <laughs> never quite recovered from it. Yeah. He would take some gnarly, like apron bumps as Jackson. It was, yeah. Ugh. Where he would just like bounce from the ring over the bottom rope off and then directly to the floor or just you know the dives to nowhere and all that other crazy stuff. It was uh yeah. our comedy gimmick, it's not worth it. <laughs> um okay, so that was our pal Koji, and that was Tozawa Juku. Um the the other big baby face unit, I guess, of after Blood Generation and um, final on 2K, they were sealed in the same match. God, that was like a, it was a match in like the middle. Where the hell was that match in Kyoto or something? It was, uh, yeah, it was one of the first shows. It wasn't really, you know, they didn't make a big deal out of it because they didn't, they weren't disbanding the units. They were just, it was time to end it. So they did, uh, just, I, did, I just, I just watched it, like the, the highlights of it on the 2007 DVD, and I couldn't figure out what building it was, but it clearly wasn't a, it was, uh, was that one that like tan had like the tan wall and like the it almost looked tiled. They used to run it a lot. They don't really run it anymore, at least not on TV. But um, I can't re- I can't remember which building it was. Oh uh, God, yeah, I have to look it up now. <laughs> I feel but like it's the same building where Yamato won the. Um, I think it's the same building where where Yamato won the next one thing. Yeah, I think it's the same. It was, it was probably the no, it wasn't the same show. Actually, yeah, it probably was the same show. Oh, right? same show. Okay. Yeah. Um, God, it was probably. No, it wasn't this. It wasn't Corican. It wasn't Sambo. Yeah, it definitely wasn't Corican. It definitely wasn't any of the ones. Like, I haven't seen it on TV in forever. So that's when I, when I came no, up. Okay, it was. Uh, no, it wasn't Saitama either. What the hell was it? It was. Uh, no, Saitama. Yeah, it oh. was. Oh, yeah, it was. Uh, Kawagoe, yeah, they they don't yeah the building isn't open anymore. That's why they don't run there. I see. That was the yeah Kawago Pepe Hall Atlas. That was cursed Pepe. It was a place where everybody where people would get injured. Really? <laughs> it, was, it was a cur yeah. Um, there was I totally this, forgot about that. There was this run in the uh, mid you know the early two thousands, um, to- mostly in the Torimon era, but it was a building where people people there were. On every show, someone would get injured, so it was like a cursed. It was a cursed building. But yeah, they they don't uh, they replace this. They they run a hotel in Saitama now, in place of and this the, one. And obviously, and obviously, just in general, way less buildings make TV in the um, post Weekly Infinity era. So yeah, this is also true. But I just I, it is weird because I miss seeing these random buildings with like eight hundred people. But yeah, they, but they've it, changed. They don't really do. You know, in that time, they would do kind of like important matches in these smaller buildings, whereas now house shows are much more house shows are house shows. Yeah. So unless unless it's Sambo Hall, 
or not Sunball, uh, KBS Hall in Kyoto, which is really the only important building that doesn't make, make TV anymore. You know, you're not you're not really missing stuff on house shows anymore. Uh, there's the how there's the homecoming shows. Yeah, yeah but uh, you know, those are once a year generally. So, so the blood generation and final two K go away in cursed Pepe, and yes. we get Typhoon out of that and. Watching that play out again on this DVD, I, I kind of forgot how slow a process that was. Like, it took weeks, basically, and a lot of, like, um, you know, you had to, to have the, B, you had the BB, Shima, BB, Susumu match. Yeah, you, you know, that was supposed to be, it was supposed to be BB Ibushi. Yeah. Yeah, and then he, Ibushi got he, hurt. Yeah, it was like, Hulk, it was supposed to be Shima, Hulk, and Ibushi, so... People forget that Ibushi was around all that time. Everyone always talks about how uh, he was a guy that they would have wanted to see in Dragon Gate. He was around a lot. <laughs> yeah. 2000, 2007. And, um, but yeah, so then they kind of save, they, they they basically save Ryu and Genki turns on him um, a couple weeks later and I, I think at Kobe Sambo. And that's kind of the formation of Typhoon. And they yeah, get Mori in there. Kness, that was when Kness was stepping back from a main from the a main roster role in doing you know the comedy stuff and kind of the, the GM stuff that Yagi does now, and he was like in that you know in that match where Blood Generation ends, he's like Shima, uh, why don't you try teaming with Susumu? So they put them together as the Shimaska team for a while. Uh, they were on Wrestle Jam. And they—that's where Cyber Gangster showed up, and they beat Cyber Gangster <laughs> in the first match. And Shima was wearing those really, really bad, like long pants, it's like the Susumu style knee-length, like garbage bag pants. And they had like weird red, like like this weird red pattern going down. It looked yeah, really bad. weird, weird red pattern. And uh, you know, Saito refused to break up Do Fixer, but then Horiguchi turned on him. And, uh, you know, Dragon Kid had been out injured. He comes back and immediately agrees to join, uh, you know, Shima's new unit. And uh, Saito finally has to give in. And that's that's where Typhoon comes in. Uh, they had uh, Seidel was a member initially. Hulk was also a member initially because of the Bloodhearts yeah. connection. Yeah. But, uh, you know, the next unit is New Hazard. And yeah. uh, we got you- one typhoon muscle outlaws was like there's like a crazy 12 man 12 man tag where you know, jack evans had turned and joined muscle outlaws kong and but, kong and gang have both joined and then yeah cyber gangster wasn't around yeah at all it was he he did like the one tour but then uh you know hulk and kong there was like the thing of someone from typhoon is going to betray going to betray you and uh, you know, everyone's like, who's it going to be? So Hulk makes the first step, but then Cyber Kong turns and Takagi comes back from the States and New Hazard comes out of that too. So that was, that was a fun time. But so what was it about Typhoon that I don't, I mean, they just, they never felt like they had a, their own identity. It just kind of felt like they were playing off of the past of other units to me. I don't know. Maybe it's just me. Mm, they were the thing that rubbed me the wrong way was it was taking Susumu and Saito out of profile positions and putting them secondary to Shima in a unit. So it felt like a step backwards in that sense. And they were, 
for as strong as they were on paper, they, they, they lost a lot. So it just didn't really feel, it didn't feel like an honest unit in a sense. Um, and then, you know, towards the end, Shima gets hurt and they put, they, they put Takagi in and it just didn't, it, something about it just never felt right. Yeah. Um, I don't know. They were fine. You know, they had, they had cool entrance music. Um, there's just nothing. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.